Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, hello everybody. Interesting, uh, this week someone mentioned, uh, they talked about humility and Moses is described as, as a very humble leader in the Bible. Uh, not, I don't think it comes up in Exodus. It probably comes up in one of the later seasons, but he's known as a humble man. And um, I think we see his, his humility get, uh, you know, kind of layered in with his, also his self-doubt. And sometimes, you know, people, people that look like they're humble are actually, so, you know, constantly rejecting themselves and constantly questioning whether or not they should even, you know, have an opportunity in front of them. And and true humility is something that is is an interesting mix because somebody who is humble can be incredibly confident in what they're doing, but they don't they don't need you they don't need your affirmation necessarily because they're confident in what God's uh, doing, but they appreciate affirmation because they are confident in what's God's doing and what you, when you affirm somebody who's humble like they honestly recognize it as the Lord encouraging them now they're not somebody who just immediately says oh it's not me it's Jesus it's not me it's the Lord thank you so much for this award but I, I give all glory to God like there's there's a false humility that is really annoying so annoying and I'm sure all of us have come up against people like that, especially, um, I don't know why, but but I think so many, what I would call worship leaders, singers, musicians in churches, like they're just taught not to take any credit for themselves, not to, not to enjoy the fact that God's given them some sort of massive amount of talent or, well, depending on what church you're in, maybe they don't have massive amounts of talent. Maybe they're just barely adequate. Or maybe they're just the ones, only ones who are willing to stand up front and do something. But be that as it may, <laughs> oh, be that as it may, we uh, false humility is is not is not fun. It's not fun for anybody, including the person who's faking it, because they they aren't really giving credit to God, and they aren't really able to take the compliment because because then they'll be prideful and oh. God hates the prideful. I mean, look what he did to Pharaoh. Oh, look what he's going to do to Pharaoh. <laughs> that was a nice transition. have no idea why I ran down the humility pride thing. But I think it will come up more. That's why I think I did it. I think, I think, uh, I think well, we've obviously talked already twice, uh, you know, the last two episodes about how, how pride is getting in the way of Pharaoh making a wise decision. But we understand why. Uh, you know, from his perspective, the God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews, I mean, it hasn't done anything for the Hebrews in years, uh, years. And I still contend that they should have left, at least left, at the very least, they should have left when Moses, when Joseph died. They should have said, you know what, we're going to go back to the land that the Lord promised us. We're going to bring Joseph's body up there. I mean, that's what he requested. He was like, when you guys leave, please take me with you. There was, there was, uh, you know, I think that there was, there was an, an, there was multiple opportunities for them to choose to go back to the land that God had promised them, and uh, they didn't. They didn't. So I'm not sure uh, what's going on here. Sorry if you heard my uh, my phone go off there. Oh well, <laughs> we all have that, right? I'm not sure how long this chapter takes. This is chapter six. This is probably not one that you're going to hear a message on because it not much happens here except kind of a, uh, for me, it's a, it's a heartfelt conversation between God and Moses. Now, when we left chapter five, last episode, Moses goes to God after getting massive resistance from the Hebrew um uh, overseers, not the taskmasters, not the slave drivers, but the overseers. They, those were Hebrew people, and they had tried all they could to alleviate this ridiculous requirement that they go get their own straw and keep the number of bricks the same. 
they had they had a you know they they didn't realize how good they had it until it suddenly wasn't a, a, as good and now they're like can we just get back to our our previous requirements and the pharaoh's like no like you sent in he blames he blames them right of course any, any prideful person uh one prideful people can't see how they ever wronged anyone and and prideful people can't ever be wrong and man if you've ever been around leaders like that can i hear you holla i mean they're they're oh my gosh when 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 you're working with with a leader or leadership group that literally can't admit that they've wronged anyone this is this is incredibly frustrating now it's incredibly frustrating for me specifically because i am intuitively wired for relationship, whatever number you think that is, whatever letter that is, and whatever characteristic thing you want to go through, fine, label me. But I know for me, I am intuitively wired for relationship. And what that allows me to do is I naturally filter a decision as to how it's going to impact the the people that, that the decision is about. So when it came to Running a you know being in on a church staff, anytime a pastor or an elder board would make the decision, whoever was at the top of the pyramid, the hierarchical uh, governmental system of a church, they'd make a decision. I knew how it was going to impact the people I worked with. I knew how I was going to have to, not have to, but I I just intuitively understood. I'm going to I'm going to have these conversations with these people because this is going to impact them. That sort of conversation that I that I would have multiple times, sometimes you know the decision hurt. Sometimes the decision made it made it hard for the people that were volunteering, that were ministering, that were doing the work. Right? It's easy for the person on top to make the decision, and they say, "Well, it has to be easy for me because I've got all these things to consider. I've got the vision. I've got the da 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 da." You don't understand the 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 hierarchy. Basically, they're saying, "Shut up and do what you're told." And I know what that feels like. So I try to, when I communicate those decisions, I would try to communicate them in such a way that it didn't sound like the boss just said, shut up and do what you're told. Because the boss, a prideful boss, doesn't think they've ever wronged anyone. What they think is whoever feels wronged by their decision is clearly got their own personal issues, their own personal offenses, or they have some sort of personal healing that need they need to go through so that they can confirm back to the leader that the leader actually didn't do anything that was wrong. Because a leader, a prideful leader can't admit that they're wrong, and a prideful leader refuses to believe that anything they said would have made someone feel wronged or offended. It's it's a fascinating world to live in. It's it's a real happy place if, if if you're a prideful leader on top of a hierarchical system, then literally your world your world is just awesome because you never offend anyone, and yeah, you're never wrong, and that's the world that the pharaoh lived on. He lived in that type type of hierarchy. Uh, he uh, sure he had resistance. Sure he had people who he knew were not his friends. Absolutely, but he also knew if I make a decision. They're not going to resist me, and I can explain to them. I can explain to them why what they why what they feel against me is wrong, and they better believe it. And if they don't believe it, then clearly they're not loyal to the vision. They're not loyal to the country. They're not loyal to me. This is the same things that pastors on a prideful pastors feel too, or ministry leaders. You know, you, we need more loyalty. We need more commitment from the people. If they were just more committed then everybody would be fine. Like the problem isn't me, the problem is them. Uh, it, it's it's ridiculous. It, it really is ridiculous. But it, it, and honestly, it also has worked. And it worked for, it works for a long time. I think culturally we're sh- we sh- are shifting and have shifted to a place where those kind of leaders are getting more and more resistance or the people are just leaving. And And again, it's a shock to a prideful leader. They, they can't understand how anybody wouldn't be fully supportive of everything that they decide because clearly they can't be wrong. And so anybody who leaves them is either disloyal 
or they have a personal issue, i.e. they have a personal offense. And I mean, you know, you got to let them go. I mean, if you let them stay, like you can't have offended people standing around trying to trying to tell you that you're wrong when you're not wrong. All right, Bob. Bob's looking at me, going, "Bob, we we get it. You've dealt with a lot of prideful pastors. It's true, I have. But they they really do track very well with the prideful Pharaoh. I'm just saying, and and I'm I'm trying to help you know make this passage, especially this particular chapter. It's it's uh it's kind of one of those chapters you you might hear a pastor refer to a verse in this chapter, but it's really it's really a conversation where Moses is going goes to God after you know quote at the end of chapter 5 and he says I don't get it like you you brought me here full of hope everybody loves to follow a leader of hope we were all in this together and now weeks later everything's worse what's the point so chapter 6 again I don't think it's the next day maybe but probably not the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand, he will let them go because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. This is the verse that, you know, preachers like, because this shows that when you're on God's side, God will just come alongside you and, uh, you know, uh, eliminate any resistance. Just he will drive them out with his mighty hand. Arr, arr, arr. And by that, we mean he will kill them. He will kill them all because they are infidels, ridiculous, uh, ignorant, prideful, arrogant people. Not like us humble, loving people. Not like those of us who are God's chosen. We just sit here begging for God to do something on our behalf. And he will. He'll kill them all because our God is love and our God is truth. Kill them all, and our God is holy, and our God is righteous. Kill them all, and clearly we're right, and they're wrong, so God must kill them all. And that's what we see a lot of times when we read that verse. I just want you to remember that the word I does not exist in the, in the writings. When it says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand, he will let them go because of my mighty hand. He will drive them from this country. Uh, the eyes and mys are added. They're added by people who I believe in their heart. Want, they, they want to clarify what's going on here, but, but I don't think they do. Because as if we look again, we'll, we'll continue to look over and over and over again in this in, entire season because I want you to see it over and over and over again. The plan of God doesn't involve, he never mentions wiping everybody out. We think that because we've been told that because we've read these verses in English after years of translations and interpretations and applications that are brought to us by, by flawed people. And I'm not saying I'm not saying they did it on purpose. I'm just saying they had their own filter, including Moses, who wrote this book to, to begin with, who believed in his culture, they believed sincerely that if God didn't get credit for everything, that somehow God wasn't in charge. And it, and it goes uh, back to why Jesus came to Earth because he said, you, need to see what the Father is like because you have got him all wrong. And that's why he showed us who the Father is. That's why I believe Jesus is perfect theology. So God, God's answer to Moses feeling like a failure, God's answer to Moses feeling rejected, worried, anxious about the timing of God's plan and, and what Moses' role was in it, like all of us deal with that. Like he looks at Moses and he understands why Moses comes to him at the end of chapter five. And he, and, and he wants Moses to realize, listen, I, you need to remember a few things. You need to remember that uh, this is something that you really, like you're, you're here as part of my plan. Now, now God reminds Moses 
that Pharaoh isn't going to give up easily. We knew this coming into it. I told you he was going to resist. I, I, I didn't want him to, but I know how he operates. I understand how pride, prideful, arrogant leaders on top of a pyramid operate. I understand it. I know people because I love them. I created them. They are in my image, including Pharaoh. There are aspects of Pharaoh that are designed to mirror who I am. That's what I want to call out of Pharaoh. But I know he's going to resist, not because I'm making him resist, but because I know him. And it's going to be a very difficult choice for him to follow this plan. Because he knows he's going to, he would look weak. He would look wrong to people who want to destroy him. And that's unfortunate. And I know some crazy stuff is coming because I understand how the enemy operates. And I know he does not want Egypt to see the testimony of my greatness when you spend three days in the wilderness worshiping me. He does not want Egypt to be influenced by a a hybrid leader such as Moses who understands and loves the Egyptian culture and his history and its, and its education, but also understands and loves and appreciates his people and the fact that they've been suffering for so many years under tyrants and, and heavier and heavier burdens of government that have stolen their freedom or that, that his people have given up freedom in exchange for safety and, and convenience. Like he... He understands all of that. He's not an ignorant man. And Moses, uh, God's saying, listen, I know when Pharaoh looks at all this, it could really pull everything together. But I also know the enemy's looking at all this and saying, there's no way this happens because I want the image of God destroyed on earth. And I've got an entire nation that supposedly God has called his own people. I've got them enslaved and in bondage and being beaten daily under a, a regime of people that worship idols and have given me full access to their lives in exchange for power and wealth and influence. And the enemy says, there is no way I'm going to let Egypt live with Moses around. He didn't see Moses coming. He thought he had done away with Moses. He thought Moses was buried in the backside of the desert. Everything was going to turn out fine. And now he's in the way. And the, and the enemy says, I am primed to take life. I am primed to destroy a nation. And I can blame it all on God. You don't think the enemy wants to do this? You don't think the enemy wants to blame God for something that destroys life and destroys nations? And, and causes people to suffer immensely. You don't think the enemy wants that? I mean, he does this all the time. He's done it all throughout time. And he laughs every time because he says there, now people question God. How could a good God let that happen? How could a God who loves let that happen? The enemy knows how to, how to do this. He's a, he's a brilliant strategist. And God understands that. And God and the enemy are battling. It's... It's not a difficult battle for God, so to speak, if you, you know, if he wanted to, and when he does want to, it will be a quick battle. But God, on purpose, decided that his plan was going to be to take his creation that was made in the image of him, and he was going to call them back to their purpose and destiny of their original um creation back to the beginning and he's going to use them to crush the enemy he's going to use them to turn the the kingdom of god back onto the earth to turn the earth back into the garden that was the plan and the enemy is resisting that and this is his opportunity and god knows this is going to get ugly i just want you to know things are going to get ugly but when it's all done he is going to let you go he is going to let you go. I, I know the deep parts of Pharaoh that the even the enemy doesn't know, and I know he will let you go. The enemy will overplay his hand because the enemy always does, and Pharaoh will let you go. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to as God Almighty. But my name, but my name is the Lord. I did not make myself fully known to them. I will establish my covenant 
uh, with them and gave them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. So, uh, let's see. In, in verse 1, which I read, and I've also read now 2, 3, 4, and 5, we're just going to kind of roll through these. God's reminding Moses. He says, uh, you know, I'm going to rehearse again my names to you because those reveal my character. I'm going to reverse, uh, rehearse to you my connection to your heritage because that will remind you of my uh, relationships. I'm going to rehearse to you my covenant and my promises because that will remind you of what's coming, that I will make that happen because I don't forget what I promise. I don't uh, pull out of a covenant. And he says, I'm going to remember, I'm going to remind you of what I heard. I heard the groanings of the Israelites. He's like, remember Moses, you are not the one who has to come through on this plan. I am. And I'm not worried. This is another thing that, that is very difficult for uh, uh, us as, as humans to do. I think sometimes because we have, uh, at some level, everyone has an understanding of God's heart for a circumstance. And in that, in that circumstance, sometimes we think it's our responsibility to come through because we sense what God wants to do. And, and if we don't see it happen, we think we failed God's plan. And Moses is in that in that moment, and I it's it's a it's not an easy place to be. It's very discouraging, especially if you already struggle with self confidence, or you struggle with feeling stupid, or you struggle with feeling like a failure, or you struggle with some form of like self rejection. It it's a tough place to be, and Moses is in that place, and God's reminding Moses, "Listen, I, I've been around a long time. I've been a part of your heritage. I've been a part of." of your people for a long time. I have an amazing character. I don't, I, I, I'm never bad. I'm always good. I'm always loving. I'm always filled with hope. I'm always, you know, powerful. I can come through. And, and Moses, it's not up to you to make this plan work. I just needed somebody to be my mouthpiece. And that's you. You're, you're going to be an amazing leader for these people. I know you. I created you. I watched you grow up. And I want you to remember, I heard the groaning. You were on the backside of the desert. I'm the one who heard the groaning. I started this plan because I want to ease their burdens. The, you know, the, uh, the freedoms that they gave up in exchange for comfort in exchange for influence, in exchange for convenience. Those are freedoms that I gave them because I am love, and love always gives freedom. And that's why I'm giving you know Pharaoh all of these choices. He can choose to allow the enemy to attack, or he can choose to let you go, but ultimately he will let you go because that's the nature of the way that this battle goes. Love always wins. And the enemy always resists and he gets violent and he wants to seem really big and powerful, but he's not. Ultimately, he will lose. Ultimately, you will be free. They will be free because that's my heart. I know they rejected your first attempt to lead them. And I know it sounds like they're rejecting your second attempt to lead them. But that's because they don't understand yet. Their expectations were, uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word ignorant. Their expectations were unrealistic and filled with hope, which is fine. That's my heart. I was hopeful as well that you would go in and Pharaoh would, would choose to follow the plan, but he didn't. That's a reality that I understand as well, and it's something they're having, they have to live with. Their reality got worse because of Pharaoh's resistance. 
that that is something they probably should have kept in mind. But that's okay. Again, not your fault, Moses, and it's not your problem. Their response is not your responsibility, Moses. And that's a good word for a lot of people, right? A lot of us think that we're responsible for the way people respond to what God is doing. We're not. We're responsible to present things God tells us to present in a way that would be consistent with the character and the promises of God. And unfortunately, a lot of people think God's character is kill them, kill them all, infidels, prideful, arrogant. So they present that way, and that's uh, that's horrible. He reminds Moses, listen, this is who I am. Just keep presenting me, representing me, representing me, representing me in front of Pharaoh the way that I am. And don't worry about the results. And don't worry about the people's reaction either. That's on them. Their response is their responsibility. Uh, so he says in verse uh, in verse 4, he also says, you know, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Interesting. Again, what did he say? Where they resided as foreigners. I gave them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. He didn't say, I... I gave them the land of Canaan where they conquered them with with weapons of mass destruction or even with small swords. He just says, I gave them the land where they resided as foreigners. Once again, we go to the conversation that, you know, that Abraham had with, with God way back in season two, where he's like, how am I going to know when, when we have the land if we don't own any land? If we're not taking over any cities, like I get that, like that's not part of your plan, but how am I going to know? And God, God's basic answer was, you'll know because your people will be everywhere. You are going to have a flood of influence. So much so that people literally won't hardly even remember their, their past culture and their past history. They're going to be so overwhelmed and, in, and integrated into the kingdom concepts of of finance of truth of 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 worship of hope and of love that the that their culture whatever their culture is is just going to kind of fade away literally overtaking their culture and the direction of the land in such a way that that's how you're going to know you're not going to own the land and god reminds them of that i'm going to give them the land where they resided as 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 foreigners. In verse 5, he's like, the Egyptians have kept them in bondage. He's like, the Egyptians are the ones who enslaved, you know, these people. I know that. They're the ones who, who took freedom away. That is not my plan. Never my plan. It's never God's plan to take away freedom. It can't be, because then he wouldn't be love, and he is love, and love always brings freedom. So there's always freedom here. He's like, Egyptians did this, not you. And I think it's important for Moses to remember these guys resisted his first chance at leadership. Now, when he killed the taskmaster, when he killed that guy several episodes ago, it's still that the Israelites could have chosen to follow Moses at that time. You can say, well, you know, he he killed a man, therefore he he uh, reneged or or uh, resigned his his leadership role for the people. No. No, he made a mistake. Trust me. We've been, you know, we've been through enough seasons together. We know that leadership in God's kingdom doesn't involve being error-free. Season one, we did Saul, we did David, we did Samuel, all of which had massive failures, and yet we're still massive leaders for for God. We have we have Noah, we have uh, Abraham. Like there's in season two, Joseph, although Joseph, I don't think Joseph had any massive failure, did he? Anyways, probably not. <laughs> Jacob did. Esau, like there's, there's just so many things here that that you look at the one, we'll call it the one mistake we know of that, that Moses did, and you say, well, see, he was a horrible person. He, he misjudged God's timing, and I agree. His timing might have been off, but the people still could have chosen him as their leader at that time. They could have said, you know what? At least he fights for us. Let's follow him and see what happens. But they didn't. 
And that was their response. They're responsible for that. And that's what he reminds Moses of. This is actually a beautiful conversation between God and Moses. I'm going to read some more verses. Verse 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out, out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the yoke of the of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to <clears throat> Abraham Isaac and to Jacob and I will give it to you as a possession I am the Lord So Moses I mean I, sorry Moses Moses is listening to the Lord he's like listen my my heart is always always for freedom I'm I'm going to I will get you out Love, love will break the bondage. That's what God's confidence is in. He's not saying, I'm going to kill them. You say, well, well, he says, I'm, go- I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to free you. I'm going to redeem you with outstretched arms. I'm going to, I'm going to with great judgments. We see that, and why do we, th- you know, often we think, well, clearly God's going to kill them all, infidels, prideful, arrogant fools. No. How does God judge? He judges with love. And love releases light, and the light exposes the results of your choices. You say, Bob, that's semantics. Yeah, well, it's important semantics. Because you see, the results of your choices are, is something that, that the enemy brings to you when your choices are not kingdom, that's what the enemy brings. God brings the judgment of love. He brings the judgment of light. He says, let's examine what's going on here and let's get rid of it so that you can be closer to me. That's what the judgment of God is. It's, a, it's an opportunity to become more like him, to become more loving. People like to use the word, you know, discipline. Well, that comes from the word disciple. It's a relational interaction that occurs when God disciplines you. It's relational. When God judges you, it's relational. Outstretch arms. We think, you know, we think of, of, of a warrior stabbing somebody with his outstretched arms. I, when I read that, it, it just as easily could mean uh, a father that throws his arms out to wrap their children in a hug. Oh God! Oh my gosh, Bob! You you can't even you can't even begin to tell me that you think God's out here hugging everybody, hugging everybody. You're you're ridiculous. God of love, he did a killer. He killed the Egyptians, the infidels, prideful, arrogant fools. Kill them all. That's the God of love I know. Well, uh, it's a God I knew and a God I preached for a long time. So I am not uh, ignorant of your position. I just think that position shows ignorance of who God is. That's all. And that's fine. I, I think that my position back then came from years of study and and regurgitation of what other people had studied versus my me doing my own and realizing there's a huge inconsistency of God in the Old Testament and the God in the New Testament, and a covenant is not something that breaks a character of the people in covenant. And you can't say Jesus brought the new covenant and somehow changed the character of God in the first covenant. You can't change the covenant. You can't change the character of people in a covenant. That's not what covenants do. A second covenant expands the first covenant to the point where the first covenant becomes non-existent. And in the first covenant, it was for people, for a nation to influence the world. In the second covenant, Jesus expands the covenant and says it's for the world. It's for all people. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the covenant now, literally obliterating the first covenant, not changing the character of God. Oh, sorry. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I'm not sorry I went there, but yeah. 
I understand that for some listening to what I just said regarding the judgment of God, you just you just literally want to shut shut this whole thing down and be like, I can't even with a God who's that nice. And and I would say you need to ask yourself the question, why not? Why not? Look at the life of Jesus and say, what do I believe about God that doesn't that I don't see in the life of Jesus? Because he came to us to show us the Father. In verse 8, right, he says, And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. No mention of genocide. No mention of, I will help you overtake take the land by destroying its people and, and burning down its, its, its uh, or taking over its cities and burning down its villages and smashing all of their idols. No, he, he doesn't. He doesn't because that's not the plan. It's the way that Moses and, 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 and Joshua interpret the plan later on. It's the only way they see it happening. But it's not the plan. And God so loves the freedom of choice that he will back you even if you make a choice that's inconsistent with his character. And we see that again in the New Testament when we look at Ananias and Sapphira and what Peter did to them for lying. Verse 9, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because their discouragement and harsh labor. So Moses takes this word of encouragement. He probably leaves the conversation with God very filled with hope again. Why? Because every time a God of hope and a God of love and a God of joy talks to somebody, they're going to leave filled with love and hope and joy. And I think Moses gets done listening to, to the Lord, and he's like, yes, yes, that's right. This is awesome. I'm going to go talk to him. And he goes and he brings it all to them, and they're like, no. <laughs> we don't know. They're overworked. They're anguished. They're depressed. They don't care what the God of, Mo, of, of their God has to say. Like they're like, we're no. But we feel the same way when we feel, you know, overworked, depressed, worried, um, suppressed, frustrated. We hear, you know, a hopeful word of the Lord. And it's like, oh no, I'm done with this. Like. You walk out of the service or you, you know, you sit in the service and you're just kind of staring around going, what are these people so excited about? Why do they worship God? Like they don't even know what I'm going through right now. Or you listen to, you know, a speaker because you're still part of a, you know, a, a church that's designed around everyone listening to one revelation. And you're just like, it's not for me. It's not for me. That's what they're saying. It's not for us, Moses. Great. You talk to God, not for us. It's not for us. So then the Lord says, well, go tell Pharaoh. Verse 10, go tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, let my people go out of this country. And Moses says, listen, if the, if the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with uncircumcised lips or with faltering lips. It's, it's fascinating to me, right? God's, God's like, I, God doesn't care about a response when it comes to his plan. He's like, listen, I have a plan for freedom. I get it. They don't understand it. They're stuck in they're stuck in slavery. So many people are stuck in slavery, right? How many people are in bondage to sin? You tell them a way to get out, and they're like, I don't care. I'm done. I, I'm, I'm exhausted. Because slavery to anything brings you physical and mental exhaustion. You talk to people in addiction. The amount of work it takes to get out of addiction, it comes from... Like they, they, there's different ways of approach. I know there's different approaches to it, but it still takes a lot of work. You have to do the work. And when you're exhausted, you don't want to do more work. You just want to keep doing whatever it is you're doing. If you're addicted to worry and to fear or to, or to a victim mentality, the amount of work it takes to change the way you perceive your circumstances is ridiculous at first. It seems un obtainable. So the last thing you want is some preacher like me, you know, looking at you going, yo, you can do this. You can do this. God's got this. Like, let's just make, let's just make that first decision to, you know, to speak kindly, to be thankful. Let's just be thankful for, for two things a day. And it's like, no, it's too much work. Just no, you know what? Maybe for somebody else. This is my life now. 
It's easily done. So I don't fault the Israelites for this. But God says, listen, go tell Pharaoh. And Moses is like, I don't see the point. Even if he, his basic thing is, listen, even if, even if I walk in and Pharaoh says, yes, you can go, I got to go back to the people who don't believe me, don't want me. And I have to say, listen, we can all leave now and go worship God who's freed you. They'd be like, we told you go away. How much, you know, how much worse is it going to be for us when we come back after worshiping God? No, like forget it. I feel of uncircumcised lips or faltering lips. It's not just his stuttering. Basically, Moses said, like, I feel left out. I am out of the loop. I'm out of the covenant. I am somehow not there. He's still questioning his identity and his destiny when he says those words. In verse 13, he's like, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. So he brings he brings Aaron in because he understands, not because he's disappointed to Moses, but he understands Moses' struggle, and he brings in his brother, and he's like, Okay, I'm going to talk to both of you. You're, we're going back to Pharaoh. We're going to ask again to be, to be released. Because, you see, God doesn't respond to Moses uh, God doesn't call out Moses based on what Moses feels about himself. God calls out Moses on what he knows Moses to be. He calls out Moses' identity. It's not that he doesn't understand and have empathy for the way for the self-rejection and disappointment and frustration and anxiety that Moses is feeling every time he brings a word of hope to the people and they reject him. He's like, listen, I get that, Moses, but I, I'm going to call out of you what I created you to be, which is a leader of my people. That's how a God of hope operates, and that's how we should operate. We talk to people often, my wife and I will talk to, to pastors that are struggling. We'll say, listen, that person doesn't, you need to find the gold in that person, and that's what you call out of them. Don't worry about, don't, you know, don't worry about the dirt. Anyone can find dirt. Look for the gold. God always finds the gold, and he calls that out. He's like, Moses and Aaron, you are going to lead my people out of Egypt. That's what's going to happen. He calls Moses as though he is, even though Moses sees him as he is not. <laughs> Moses sees himself as something he's not. It's, it's, it's awesome. And then bloodlines and the families are reviewed of, of, the, of the tribes and the Levites. It's not a detailed uh, thing, but it's enough so that Moses and Aaron understand, I'm calling out everyone. Everyone's going to leave. And then in Moses, you know, he's like in verse 27, toward the end of the chapter, He's like, and they were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, this, this same Moses and Aaron. He's like, I want to be really clear who's talking to Moses. Uh, I mean, who's talking to Pharaoh. I want to make it really clear who, who they're asking Pharaoh to release. So uh, then in verse 28, it says, Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh the king everything I tell you. Now is that timing thing. God's like, get the timing right. Follow me on this. And Moses says to the Lord, <laughs> I love this. Moses says to the Lord, since I speak with a faltering lip, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And again, Moses is not saying I stutter, although he does physically. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not part of this. I, I'm not. I'm not good enough. I'm not part of this plan. I'm not part of this family. I'm not part of this clan. God literally just laid out the family lines for him to say, you are part of this family. You're part of this clan. He lays out the family line so that Moses knows, listen, I know who you are, Moses, and I'm calling it out of you. You are the heritage that I have a covenant with. And Moses is like, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to listen to me. How is anyone, how am I supposed to lead anyone when they won't listen to me? He's like, listen, all these people that you say I'm connected to, I'm not connected to them. They have years of experience together. They have years of connection together. 
Aaron has connect, you know, he has he has years of conversations with Pharaoh, with elders, with tribal leaders. I don't have any of that. The Egyptians don't know who I am. They don't care who I am. They don't know who you are. Pharaoh doesn't care who you are. He's really, he's really trying to tell, tell God, listen, I am alone in this. You don't understand. <laughs> How often do we tell that to God? Hey, you don't understand what it's like to be alone. You're God. I don't see a reason for anyone to follow me. And I definitely don't see any reason for anyone to hear me. I mean, imagine, right? You're a, you're a leader with a great vision and no one will listen to you. You, 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 you know, you have it, you have the plan. It's, it's awesome. You have an awesome plan. And everybody's like, yeah, we, yeah, we're not interested. We're not interested in you. We don't care what your plan is. We, you know, give it to somebody else. Let them do it. I mean, it's a horrible, it's a horrible place to be. And Moses, this is what I love, right? Moses has such a great relationship with God that he doesn't just become a slave to what God tells him. I, I love that. So many of us would be like, how dare you resist the word of God? God's going to kill you, you infidel, you prideful, arrogant fool. Kill him, kill him, God. He won't, he's resisting your word, your word. But Moses understands the character of God to the point where he He's able to keep pushing back and he pushes back to God. He's like, I don't, I don't see the, I don't see the point of going on. I don't. No one's going to hear me. Clearly no one's going to follow me if they're not listening. I, you know, at some level, he's basically looking at God and saying, listen, I, I love you. I appreciate all your words, but I don't think you understand people very well. <laughs> Oh man, I think God just laughs when when Moses says that, right? Because he he just does. He laughs at the plans of the enemy. He laughs when when he hears us because he understands our hearts, and he's like, oh, "I love you, Moses." And then we go to chapter seven next week on the Epic Narrative. Thanks for hanging out, everyone. I hope you enjoy this story. Man, it's getting good. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome back to some thoughts. I, I, uh, As I listened to this week's episode, I was reminded a lot of self-rejection, just the lack of confidence that we have in who we are and, and who God made us to be and the way that we have accepted labels or interpretations of who we are from people who aren't God, who don't know us, who didn't make us. And and I think Moses is uh, exhibiting some of that. I'm not saying he suffered with it his whole life, but but in these moments where he's being encouraged by God to move forward with the plan, he has to sit back and say, but I've tried the plan. I tried it 40 years ago. I tried it a few weeks ago. It's not working. The people don't like me. They don't want me to lead them. Pharaoh won't listen to me. Like I, you know, I, I was on board. I was on board. It's fully like I wanted, but the, the evidence is showing that I, you know, that what you're saying isn't going to work. And you can always find evidence for what you believe, right? So I think he was believing the lie that God's plan wasn't going to work, that he was, that Moses was believing the lie that he was not a great leader and people would not follow him. So we're going to work that lie out of him uh, as we go forward. But self-rejection is something that can be a, a long-term root or long, you know, bitter root, so to speak, that goes through many, many years. It could also just be thing, something that pops up uh, within your life where, where you become that unsure, there's an unsureness about who God created you to be. And uh, it's when you're, when you are self aware 
of your identity. When you really live out your identity, it doesn't, it isn't about pride or being cocky. We used to call it cocky when I was in a, do they still even use that word? Is that a word? I don't even know. Anyways, it's, it, it's, it doesn't come across that way. It comes across as a confidence that's safe. In other words, your, your identity and your confidence in who God made you to be creates a, a safe place for other people to be renewed in the truth of who they are. See, now pride isn't a safe place. When you're around a prideful person, you know that, that they could turn against you in a, in a heartbeat. You know that if they don't get their way, probably they're going to get angry. Uh, and so you start to fear. Prideful people create fear. They create uh, um, a, a containment of of protection that you're like, okay, I need to be really careful around this person because they're very, you know, they're, they're very important or that at least they think they are. Uh, self-awareness of your true identity. People get around you and they're like, wow, that person really knows who they are. That person is very confident. That person is somebody I could trust. And that's the difference between the two. I think I'm just kind of processing it actually literally out loud. You're literally hearing my thoughts. Um, I, I think that that, that's at least part of the, I, I can't say it's the only difference, but it's one of the differences between understanding who you are and living out that identity, uh, confidently and just being prideful and trying to protect an identity that you've created for yourself. And there you go. That was brilliant, Bob. I, I liked it too. I liked it too. Those were good thoughts. I hope you enjoyed them today. Uh, man, we covered a whole chapter. That's pretty awesome. Don't forget, if you can support uh, and and encourage uh, the epic narrative, if you can support and encourage what we do with uh, house church leaders, uh, we would just greatly appreciate it. You can uh, give. The link is in the description of the podcast. It's in the my website, thebobswitzer.com. It's on my Facebook page. It's on my Instagram page. Um, so you should be able to find it if you want to give. It would be a, a great source of encouragement to myself as well as others who help us out. Um, thank you guys so much and have a great day. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.